This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. The Jersey Sounds of Power Talk, the Friday edition with me on Knoxman, Murio Sanyane standing in for the Queen of Hearts, Larato Mbele. On this section, we unpack the State of the Nation address delivered by the President yesterday uh, by two eminent persons in the field of politics and uh, economy. Professor Yanni Rousseau, who is a visiting professor at VATS Business School. Good morning, Prof. Good morning, Mario. Good morning to the listeners. And I believe Dr. Mbeti will also be on the line. Good morning, Dr. Mbeti. Yes, indeed. Dr. Stembi Lembete, senior lecturer at the University of Pretoria's Department of Political Science. Good morning, Doc. Good morning, and good morning, Prof. Uh, good morning uh, to your listeners as well. It's really good to be with you today. All right. Let's start with you, um, Dr. Mbete, in terms of what we saw yesterday, the absence of the economic freedom fighters and the role that they play most of the time particularly during the state of the nation address in terms of uh, disruptions and stuff with the decisions taken by parliament with the new rules and their failure uh, in the courts uh, to try and force their ban uh, to be to be lifted and um, obviously it's not the entire members of parliament but only six members of uh, of parliament including the president Julius Malema the fact that they were not there yesterday did it bring a different dynamic to 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 the state of the nation address in terms of concentration in terms of people focusing on the main event of the day well look i think that uh, what it certainly brought was um a you know it removed some of the spectacle that we used to see uh, at state of the nation addresses uh, since uh, the EFS uh, joined parliament and it meant that the president could go through his speech um, and disrupt it. It was interesting though how long it took uh, the, for the speech given that there was no um, disruption or interruption of the speech. Um, so yeah, so I think that the biggest change was that there was uh, a lot less of the kind of um, spectacle that we're used to seeing uh, with the EFS uh, being in the house uh, during a State of the Nation address and things happened relatively smoothly uh, and the President was able to um, to give his address even with, with a surprisingly little heckling. Uh, there was uh, some heckling at certain points particularly around the statements he made around load shedding um, and, and electricity provision. Uh, but I think that the biggest difference really was um, that he was able to speak to the end of his speech with no interruption, and there was a bit less of the spectacle that we have come to associate with a State of the Nation address. All right. Um, Sorry, Mario. Uh, Mario, may I please add something to what the doctor has just said? Yes, yes, please. Yeah, at least uh, in this instance, the president was given the due respect in Parliament. We may not agree with everything the president says. We may disagree with everything he says, but he is still the president of the Republic of South Africa. And as such, the president of the Republic of South Africa must be given due respect at occasional, at occasions such as a state of the nation address. So with these new rules, 
and with the ease if not there, the president were given, was given the necessary respect that we expect a president to be given on an occasion where he speaks as president of the country. It's different when Mr. Ramaphosa speaks as president of the ANC or things like that. But Sauna is an occasion where he speaks as our president, as the president of our country, and in that respect he must be he must be treated with decorum. And we saw we saw the right decorum for the president of the republic last night. Okay. Interesting indeed. So Prof, I want to to find out from you because when I watched the speech last night uh, I listened very attentively and I said to myself when I was watching the speech that my, my goodness it sounds like a like a campaign speech for me considering that this is an election year okay but what I want to find out like, because it, it was slightly couched differently from from a sauna that is not happening within the election year from my from my perspective so I need to find out that because normally what the president pronounces during the State of the Nation address, then it's somehow been translated into the budget by the by the Minister of Finance. And, and we know that the budget is, uh, I think, I'm not sure whether the 24th or the 28th of February, sometime later this particular month. So is it going to be difficult for Enoch Kodongwana to present the budget based on what the president has delivered last night or is it going to be business as usual in terms of the budget? Well, you asked me two questions. Uh, uh, one is what did the president say and the second one is in terms of the budget. The president made two important statements that will have to reflect in the budget. The one is around uh, national health insurance and the other one is about social grants where he did make statements about continued or new spending, depending on how you want to look at it. So from that, from those two perspectives, indeed, uh, he made statements that will have to be reflected in the budget. I just need to reflect for a moment on the speech itself. The speech was not well structured. Mr. Ramaphosa clearly needs a new speech writer. The speech was rambling, in my view. It was way too long. It was something like a hundred minutes long, which is which is simply just too long for a state of the nation address. So for me, it is obvious that Mr. Ramaphosa needs new speechwriters. What we have at the moment is not serving him well. That is why, hence the question I pose that based on what the president has presented, because I'm saying maybe the reason why he went so long is because it's an election year. And I was saying it sounds like a campaign speech. And as to whether, you know, it will translate to um, it will translate to what uh, Minister of Finance, you know, Godongwana has has um, has to pronounce when he delivers the budget. But we will come back to that. Let me bring back Dr. Stemblenbert there. In terms of some of the key elements, I know, Prof, you mentioned the issue of NHI, which obviously has to be um, transmitted in the budget, the, the social grants and stuff. When coming to the issues of um, social uh, grants, Dr. Stembile, the president even went to, to highlight that people are beginning to accuse the governing party of creating... He didn't use the term nanny state, but like a de- like a dependency state, you know, so something like that. 
but 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 he says it's an important thing so is that correct that uh, he has to defend the fact that they have to support the indigent, the poor, and so on and so forth, but also to say, uh, to push back against the criticism that you, NC-led government, you are creating a nanny state. Well, I think um, the what the president has to uh, defend, uh, and, and I think what he was trying to get around yesterday, was that um, the unemployment has grown at such a rapid rate and what employment has been created and what economic growth has been created has been insufficient um, to really meet the needs of new entrants to the job market every year. And although he did raise the government's um, record uh, in terms of poverty, uh, saying that by 20, that in 1993, South Africa had 71.1% of the population living in poverty, and this had dropped by 2010 to 60.9%, and then it had dropped to 55.5% in 2020. What he failed to say is that it's increased to 62% by 2023 in the last World Bank report on poverty in South Africa. And so in some ways, we really have regressed. We've gone backwards, and that's why there are so many more people who are relying on transfers from government to be able to live and to be able to to get out of poverty, just to eat every day. We've seen some dire uh, reports about the increase in starvation and in hunger uh, in some parts of the country, particularly in the Eastern Cape. And so the, you know, the the framing of this as a success, uh, I think, is, you know, some... Uh, light-footed political maneuvering um, because it is, it's actually an indictment right on the government that uh, there are so many more people who have to be reliant on government grants and on welfare transfers because uh, they are unable to be employed uh, in the formal economy. Um, and so I think that the, the, and so, you know, the announcement that the SRD grant, uh, which is reaching 9 million people every month, is going to be formalized in some way as income support for the unemployed uh, is then welcome just in dealing with the immediate issues that people have of, of hunger um, and of poverty, but that it's not matched with uh, a broader plan for how then um, the issues of unemployment um, and poverty are going to be dealt with in the long term, um, I think was uh, something was a serious omission from the speech. Prof. Rousseau, what yeah, uh, Dr. Mbete just said segues in the it segues nicely into the question I wanted to uh, to to pose in terms of in terms of affordability, because indeed he mentioned that um, you know going forward they're going to formalize these grants and make it a basic income grant, okay, and with the stagnant economy, with the challenges that we have in the economy. Where will the money come from? Did, well, was there some kind of an indication as to whether the country can afford it or not? There was no indication of affordability of either increasing or uh, making permanent any grants. 
nor of the cost of a national health insurance. We have no idea where the money will come from, but of course, only one source. The government has no resources as such. It must raise taxes to pay for these things. Uh, the government cannot borrow more. We know at the moment that on its current borrowing, the government pays about a billion rands of interest per day. So the government's ability to borrow more money is limited. So it will either have to be more taxes or reprioritization of current expenditure. The government will have to spend less on some items. Now, I can give you a long list of things where the government can simply stop spending. It can give ESA away, and that will be a big saving. It can give Alex Corridanel away. Those two will be big savings. It can reduce the size of cabinet, which would be a huge saving. So there's a long list of places where they can spend less, but there's no political will to spend less. So in the end, taxpayers will have to pay for all these dreams of the government. So, Prof, maybe continuing on your comment, because during the beginning of the sixth administration, President Ramaphosa came up with investment summits. Okay, we had a number of investment summits, and also at one stage we had um, a job summit. And yeah. we know that there are pledges that were made in those uh, investment summits that goes to close to a trillion of rands. So, <laughs> and this is just a question in my mind, that you know, to to help me whether. It might be a possibility that since those pledges were made, uh, probably government knows that those pledges will be translated into real rents and cents. And that can assist to stimulate the economic growth and can also assist the government to fund other projects like your social grants and so on. Is there a possibility? What has happened to those uh, investments, uh, summits, and the pledges made? We've seen the pledges made, but as far as I can see, very little of that has really translated into actual investment in South Africa for the simple reason that this government makes it increasingly more difficult for foreigners to invest in South Africa. There are BEE requirements in respect of shareholding. is very it's getting increasingly difficult for foreigners to work in South Africa. It's becoming increasingly more difficult to get even visas to come to South Africa to look at business opportunities. So from that perspective, despite the pledges, the government is making it very difficult for investors to uh, perform on these pledges because the government is putting up obstacles to investment, especially foreign investment, all the time. So yes, if such investment can easily realize the economy will grow faster, the tax base will grow, and then there will be more revenue. But I don't see that happening at the moment. The voice of Professor Yanni Rousseau, a visiting professor at VETS Business School, and we're also joined by Dr. Stembi Lembete, a senior lecturer at the University of Pretoria's Department of Political Sciences. Dr. Lembete, business whether it's uh, domestic investors or foreign investors, they talk about a safe and correct environment, you know, for business to invest. And the president spoke about the levels of crime in this country. 
and he also spoke about um, state capture. And it's interesting because this this state capture project was spearheaded by members of the governing party itself, the African National Congress. But he spoke about it and how it derailed government's programs to invest in social programs and many other programs and so on and so forth. Listening to the president, did, did you get a sense of commitment to deal with this corruption and to deal with this lawlessness that we are beginning to see being normalized in the country? No, um, not really. Um, in the, you know, if you compare with last year's uh, State of the Nation address, where so much around uh, addressing the issues of crime was also uh, linked to, um, you know, being specific numbers uh, around recruiting new police, uh, as well as um, linking also the efforts to deal with crime uh, to a social compact uh, with all different uh, social partners uh, in order to try and um, create a uh, to create a a, a whole of society uh, response. Um, to uh, to the problems that we have of crime and corruption. And you didn't see or hear that same uh, holistic uh, emphasis in this year's speech. Uh, the president did speak about recruiting more police officers, I think with a projected 10,000 uh, to be recruited in the next, uh, in the next year. Uh, he also spoke um, around uh, resourcing to deal with um, uh, or the, the the initiative that the SAPS has, has launched to deal with target um, with targeting crime hotspots, but the idea of you know our crime problem is a manifestation of deep sort of social problems that we have in the country and how to be able to address that was really missing uh, in this year's speech in a way that it hasn't been uh, in previous speeches. We also had the response to GBV being framed as uh, wanting to have the all men sign a pledge uh, to, to, to not engage in in, in gender-based violence, which I suppose is neither here nor there, but uh, not a lot of, of focus really on um, on what the specific initiatives are going to be in order to address uh, in order to address these challenges. To the point of corruption, what I and, and state capture, what I found so interesting in the way that the person spoke about it was that you would think that it was something that was being done by somebody else, and when he was not in cabinet. And the reality is that the president was the deputy president of the country uh, from 2014. And when a lot of the state capture incidents were taking place, he was in the cabinet. And his current cabinet uh, has many people who were uh, in government at different points uh, in the supposed, uh, you know, nine lost wasted years or, or whatever the language is that's used to describe it. And so to hear him sort of disown um, the, the state capture project and what happened and act as if, you know, he and his colleagues in cabinet were just nowhere uh, in near government when that was happening, um, I think was very disingenuous and is something that also 
was noticeable, you know, and would be noticed uh, by the general public. Of course, we will continue our conversation with my special guest. That was the voice of Dr. Stemi Lembet, the senior lecturer at the University of Pretoria's Department of Political Sciences. And we're also joined on the line by Professor Yanni Rousseau, visiting professor at the VETS Business School. We're going to go now to Rishoke Malachi, who will give us the 1030 news headlines. Thought-provoking conversations. 26 minutes before the hour, 11 o'clock. Obviously, your knoxman, Murio Sanyan, is standing in for the Queen of Hearts. She's back with you on Monday between 9 and 12. But we continue our conversation with my special guests, Prof. Rousseau, as well as Doug Mbete, reflecting on the State of the Nation address. Um, Prof. Rousseau, <clears throat> you mentioned something very interesting before we broke for the news, um, that government way of raising funds will be to raise taxes. And as South Africans, we are squeezed to the bone. I mean, we are paying through our noses and I'm not sure. Uh, That's why we're excited the last time um, when the Monetary Policy Committee meet and decides not uh, to, to keep the repo rate steady. So, I mean, besides raising taxes... Are there any other options that the government can explore despite or or maybe just find the ways of growing the economy? Because that's the only way that we can live decent lives. So what needs to be done that we stimulate the economic growth so that, you know, we can move in a different trajectory? Well, you actually asked me two questions. Uh, one is, what can the government do other than raising taxes, and that is to cut expenditure. However, the ANC government and ANC politicians have already shown us that they like the expensive toys, so they do not want to cut expenditure. They like these state-owned enterprises that all make big losses. They've given uh, SAA something like 30 billion rands. Since I've said the first time, give the thing away, it will not fly. But they like these vanity projects and South African taxpayers pay for them. What can they do to get the economy grow faster? The president did mention it last night. He said we need the private sector to play a larger role in our economy. Now, this is a bit wasted in a state of the nation address. He must first convince his own cabinet colleagues of the fact that the private sector must play a bigger role in the economy up to now. We've seen many cabinet ministers make it in, making it impossible for the private sector to play a bigger role in the economy. If anything, they try to keep the private sector out of the economy. Here we can talk about the visa problem I've already mentioned. We can talk about the Competition Commission and their conduct. And I can also cite other examples. So the president must first convince his cabinet colleagues that uh, the private sector must play a bigger role in the economy. After he's done that, uh, he can then tell us that this is the way forward. And of course, that will lead to higher economic growth. And of course, higher taxes and more employment. Mm, interesting. Um, yeah, I, yeah, Dr. Mbeta? Yeah. yeah. Thanks. And the, on the tax issue, on the tax and the expenditure issue, what I would want to say is that when we think around um, government expenditure, it's less for me a um, a total amount thing and more a priority 
interesting. We are sitting uh, where you guys have been covering in the news for the last week that there's, what, 800 or 700 doctors who are at, sitting at home unemployed, people whose education was paid for by the fiscus and who um, have are unable to work in the public health system because of budget cuts because they're being told that there is no money. Uh, and yet we know that all, in many province, in, in all provinces actually across the country, we have vacancies uh, for doctors in some of the places in the country that need them the most. And so I think the issue is not so much the whole you know, expenditure, but it's also just like priorities. What is being prioritized? Um, and the private sector, yes, uh, needs to needs to have space to to be involved in the economy, and I think that there is space to for the private sector to um, be have a bigger part uh, in the economy. But the private sector won't invest uh, where there is no infrastructure uh, and where the state is really um, you know has um, has declined uh, its investment in infrastructure uh, over the last few years and the issues that we're seeing at Transnet, uh, the issues that we're seeing at, you know, at, at our ports, with rail, um, even with the road network, as much as the president tried to put a good spin on it uh, yesterday by speaking about all the contracts that Sanral um, has signed uh, in the past year, uh, we all see around us very serious uh, infrastructure decay. Uh, and that is not a conducive environment for private sector investment. Yeah. Dr. Better, the other thing I needed to uh, to, to ask you, um, <clears throat> uh, I know Prof criticized the speech, saying it was long, and then he needs to fire his speech right because it was terrible. <laughs> so something very interesting, the metaphor that, that he used, the president, that is, of this Tinsoalo person and how it has captured the imagination of people. I mean, I'm not sure if you're listening to a, sh- uh, to a program this morning, but there were people even phoning to say, I am a Tinsoalo because of the money that I got from, you know, from this government. I mean, there's a young lady who phoned that uh, she's a pharmacist from Zirast. And she says, as far as she knows, she's the only pharmacist in Zirast, you know, a rural, you know, village in the Northwest. And, People phones, you know, talking about this Tinsuala thing and so on and so forth. But obviously there were some who were pushing back to say, you know, there are other Tinsualos who didn't who are dropouts, who didn't get this and that and that. But from that perspective, do you think that that has worked in terms of launching the ANC's campaign, uh, the ANC campaign, I mean, looking that this is an election year? Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's three things, responses to that. I found it very weird that the speech was so long, given that the written speech is only 16 pages. So there was a delivery um, matter around how long the speech actually was and the time that it took to deliver it. But the speech in terms of pages was much shorter, actually, than the 2023 speech, which was 21 pages. So that was something very interesting. Around the structure of the speech, um, around six of the 16 pages in the speech was backwards looking. It was looking at the progress that's been made by the ANC over the last 30 years. And what I think for me was um, interesting was the focus on the time 
actually before President Ramaphosa took over as the president of the country. So a lot of the emphasis, a lot of the focus was pre-2018 and the successes that had been made until then. Um, but very little reflection on what's been done in the current administration by this president and what progress has been made. And I think that for me is um, is where we then get to Dinswalo, where I think that it is true and it is accurate that uh, the Dinswalo story is a true reflection of the experience of many people uh, in this country. And I dare say a majority of the previously disadvantaged um, uh, of having access uh, to education, to healthcare, to housing, uh, to economic opportunity in a way that was unimaginable before 1994. However, I do think that the Dinswalo story is also a limited one, right? That there, where there was massive expansion from 1994 to about 2011, 2012, what we've seen since then is that Dinswalos, who even though they do go to tertiary, uh, don't aren't able to find jobs when they come back uh, home um, after they've been to university. Dinswalos are stuck in a cycle of internships, of low-paying internships, because the economy is not growing to give them uh, permanent jobs that are decently paying and that are really going to allow them to get out of poverty. Um, and so the Dinswalo story, yes, I think is a good one and is a positive one, and we can see uh, what the ANC's uh, approach to its campaign is going to be because there is a lot to be proud of uh, over the last 30 years, but it hasn't gone far enough. And uh, and we know that a lot of the regression, a lot of decline is because of the ANC's own mistakes in governance uh, and, and its own mistakes in terms of policy. And so the Dinsualo, yes, is a, an example of, of success, and I think there are many Dinswalos across the country. But what we also know is that for a 22-year-old in 2024, your chances of getting a job, when you do get a job, of getting a job that is permanent, that isn't the cycle of internships, uh, despite what the president said about the YES program, of really being able to um, to get out of poverty in a sustainable way, your chances of doing that in 2024 are far reduced to what from what they were in 2014 or in 2004, for that matter. And I think that there was little in the president's speech that showed uh, any introspection or real reflection on the fact that as much as there has been progress made from 1994, there's also been very serious regression that threatens the democratic project as a whole. All right, before we take uh, your uh, phone uh, calls on 0861... Hold on a second, Prof. Just hold on a second, Prof. Um, before you, before we, we take, before we, oh, okay, so I'm going to invite the calls because we are left with only 15 minutes and I want to uh, know people have questions on Twitter as well as on the phone line. So do so by giving us a call on 0861-987-000. You can also tweet us at PowerFM987 using the hashtag PowerTalk or tweet me directly at Muru Muriano. Prof, as you comment, I want you also to weigh in on this question on Twitter uh, from Silo saying, uh, Tamurio, why is it when people are asking where will the money come from, we never discuss industrialization, we never discussed software development, ERP systems, we pay billions overseas, we never discuss building SOE capacity equals SARS tax back, 
and manufacturing. Over to you, Prof. Yeah, I, uh, I must say, uh, Dr. Mbeti just gave a very good summary of the uh, situation over the past 30 years. And I just wanted to add to that, that Mr. Ramaphosa made in his speech the strange remark that the last five years, according to him, it was a period of recovery, rebuilding, and renewal. I really have to ask the question whether President Ramaphosa believes himself when he says that, because there are many people in South Africa doubting that statement that did not see recovery, rebuilding, and renewal over the past five years, but saw further deterioration in the economy. So I'm really perplexed by his statement about recovery, rebuilding, and renewal. And that brings me then to uh, your question that you've directed to me from the Twitter, namely SOEs and the likes. Mm. Because we've not had recovery, rebuilding, and renewal, we did not manage, for instance, to turn SOEs around. Over the past five years, government has invested billions of rands raised, for instance, from taxpayers, into SOEs, where we will never see any return on such money. At this point in time, after about 30 billion rands invested in SAA, government is now trying to sell half of it, and it will cost them, it seems to me, about 3.5 billion rands just to sell half. They should have given the vanity project away six years ago. So the short answer to the Twitter question is, the government is not acting in a way conducive to support such initiatives. Thank you very much, Prof. Let's go to the phone lines. Um, start with Letlaonolo in Pretoria. Letlaonolo, your question, comment. Good morning, Mario. Good morning to your guest there. My take from um, Sona is, <clears throat> I, I think the messenger is, 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 is not... Um, you know, it shouldn't have been the president that we have currently. That is my starting point because, like uh, Professor Stempius has just said, the president sat in that cabinet for seven full years. And before then, he was serving in the same NEC. Whatever that is happening today was and, and had been happening in front of his eyes. And today he cannot claim to be, you know, rectifying a legacy of 12 years in, in, in the five years that he's in there. The mistake that we made as African National Congress members was, was to give him second uh, uh, term. For me, he should have left with, with I mean, with, with, with one term. Because whatever that he's saying today, indeed, even the next president is going to blame him for these failures. And, and, and we're regressing. Unfortunately... We just have to admit that we are failing and redo the whole the whole thing. I, I don't see solution for us for now in the next coming ten years, unfortunately. Okay. Unless if government is changed, don't you think? <laughs> okay. It's a rhetorical question anyway. Let me go to Tabo in Mamelodi. Tabo, good morning. Your question coming. Morning, Mario. Yes, Mario. You know, uh, I think this story of Tenzualo is a good story, the great one. But, uh, Mario, I cannot sit and watch the president always coming and making example with individuals. You know, uh, the, the unemployment rate is so high. It consists of millions and millions of youth who are not even uh, working. And then many of them are graduates, you know, out there who now are selling apples and potatoes. 
So for the person to come and give an example with an individual, because of the last time I checked, he spoke about an ice cream guy. No, no, so, no. Tabu, uh, Tabu, in this particular context, yes. a tinsoilo is just a metaphor, just an example. So he's talking about hundreds and thousands, and although we don't have stats, but people who have benefited from government programs. So he's just using the word tinsoilo. It means in general. Yes. So it's not like tinsoilo is a person that lives in... All right, now I, I understand. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but my... my my point exactly here, Mudu, is that I, I took my father of, 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 of a daughter who is going to university now. Mm. I'm struggling. I'm working from my finger to the bone mm. to try and make it that she, she, she can be some, some, some body. But I don't have guarantees that she'll get employed tomorrow. Yeah. That's my problem. I hear you. Tell me then, Mamelodi. Moses Bramley, good morning. Your question, comment. Good morning, Murillo. Yes, sir. Uh, Murillo, this in follow a thing of the president. I mean, if the lady who phoned in the morning, she's the only pharmacist in that village. She's the only, like she confirmed that. Which means this little thing for the president, it's not working. There are a lot of swallows who are unemployed at this particular moment. There are a lot of swallows who are harassed by criminals. There are a lot of fellows who their things are not working in this country. And the president is coming with this Tinsualo thing. Let the president keep his and his cabinet, keep the Tinsualos of his. And we, as the citizenry of this country, will keep our Tinsualos who are <laughs> suffering in this country. Keep your Tinsualo and we'll keep our Tinsualos. This is what is happening in this country. We cannot be always dance to a scratch record. Can, is it possible when I'm real to dance to a scratch record that will be coming to the repeating the same thing? No, okay, Moses, it can't be. I got you. I got to go. Moses from Bramley there. Yeah, reminding us of uh, the famous quote by former Zimbabwean president, the late Robert Mugabe, saying, Tony Blair, keep your britain and i will keep my zimbabwe okay uh, prof and dog um as we um take other calls but uh, professor better the president also mentioned issues of geopolitics for instance where he he mentioned the successes of this governing party when they were uh, chairing BRICS, and we know that we we hosted BRICS here, which was declared a successful, you know, BRICS summit here in South Africa, and so on and so forth. And seeing the expansion of BRICS members from uh, from how many numbers, from five to ten or so, but I think the now it has been extended, and the possibilities that uh, other countries might join BRICS. And he also mentioned South Africa's decision to take uh, to take Israel to the International Court of Justice, and so on. So from a foreign policy perspective and some of the things that they have done, has he, um, has he put the governing party in good state? Or are there any other foreign policy blunders that we can reflect on? Well, look, I think that uh, foreign policy has been one of the more successful areas of this president's uh, presidency. Uh, I think that for President Ramaphosa, the successful hosting of BRICS last year, uh, the um, interventions uh, that have been, or the attempted, or being part of the group of African leaders um, who have uh, 
tried to intervene and to speak to both uh, the Ukrainian uh, and Russian leadership uh, around trying to reach some resolution and where there was success actually in terms of unlocking uh, or getting over some of the deadlocks around uh, wheat exports and fertilizer exports to Africa, uh, which was a big problem uh, for the continent as, as it, that it come as a result of the conflict um, in, in Ukraine. Uh, and then, of course, you know, the ICJ case and, and the leadership uh, that South Africa has shown uh, in trying to defend the interests of Palestinians in Gaza. I think that that has all been um, some of the more successful elements of this president's uh, term in office uh, of the last five years. And certainly some of the more successful uh, aspects of the ANC administration in the last five years. So uh, it didn't surprise me that he raised those issues and that he talked about that because those are uh, achievements. Of course, we have South Africa is going to be hosting the G20 in 2025. And so that's going to be another opportunity uh, to showcase uh, the the country. Um, But of course, you know, the success of foreign policy is often dependent on having a solid domestic base and domestic policy base and the kind of influence uh, that President Ramaphosa has sought for South Africa to play internationally can only be done really effectively when uh, you have all the resources that require that are required for that and when you can underwrite some of this leadership uh, in the on the international stage. And the reality is that we our domestic base uh, for that kind of sustained leadership internationally is not nearly as strong as it should be and certainly isn't as strong as it was uh, in the last heyday of South African uh, foreign policy in the 2000s um, when our international leadership was matched uh, by uh, a strong economy uh, and a domestic base uh, that allowed us to be able to to sort of punch above our weight in international affairs. So certainly those are successes that the president mentioned, uh, and uh, I'm not at all surprised that they were in the speech because they are something to be proud of. But I think that um, the underlying fact is that uh, our ability to sustain that kind of leadership internationally really needs a solid domestic base, and, and that is where um, you know the president's record hasn't been very strong in the last five years. Okay, as we conclude, um, Professor Russo, did I hear you correctly um, in in one of your comments that um, South Africa has, you know, has reached the ceiling when coming to uh, to borrow money from either the IMF or the World Bank and so on. Um, I'm not sure if I heard you correctly, but what is what is uh, to to answer that? And also, what is our debt like? You know, it, yeah. What, what, what is our debt like? And then, because I remember previously there was an NC policy, particularly driven by by Tabon Becky, that we should. Stay away. We should abstain from uh, from debt. And after inheriting a bankrupt country from the National Party government, uh, the Mbeki administration, you know, make sure that they clear uh, the, the 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 debt from the international uh, loaners. And then, unfortunately, under the Duma administration, things changed again. But what is the status now in terms in terms of debt for the country? Well, uh, there are two things. Is of course South Africa's foreign debt which is debt owned by uh, South Africans 
to the rest of the world. And then there is the South African government government debt. And most of the South African government's government debt is held within South Africa, mainly by pension and retirement funds, by banks, some of it by the Reserve Bank, etc. So if we say there's a limit to what the government can borrow, it's a limit on the local capital market. Government has reached the limit of what can be borrowed locally. Government has some international borrowing, amongst others from the IMF. But overall, the problem is that the government's debt, which is probably close to 6 trillion rands, has become so big that the capacity to borrow more is now limited. But I must stress, most of the government's debt is held in South Africa, and a lot of it is held by South African pension and retirement funds. So it's money owed to South Africans. Very, very interesting indeed. I think we have completely run out of time. Um, Stembele, if there's anything you want to finalize with in 45 seconds, and I'll also give Prof 30 seconds to conclude before you go to the news, if there's anything at all. Well, I just think it's going to be a really interesting election year. Uh, we got a hint yesterday of uh, what the ANC's campaign is going to be structured around, and uh, really responding to that story is going to be the big challenge of opposition parties uh, if they want to shift in any substantive way uh, the ANC's hold on power in the country. The other thing is that we're going to have to wait and see how inspired voters are to register uh, and then to actually turn out in the election because this election is going to hinge on turnout. Uh, That's actually what's going to determine the future of the country. Prof, your final 45 seconds. It's obvious that the ANC has little to offer us for the future, so it's trying to get us to relive the past and want to show us a glorious past which will be uh, past which will be the basis of the campaign and then just to say to you uh, Morio and to Dr Mbeti thank you very much for a very nice interview it was a really a very good insightful interview for our listeners much appreciated the, the voice of uh, professor Yanni Rousseau visiting professor at Vets Business School as well as Dr Stenby Lembete senior lecturer at the University of Pretoria's Department of Political uh, Political Sciences I thank you both uh, for your great insights much appreciated thank you very much You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.